Okay, so obviously one of the distinctives of LEFC is that we teach the Word of God. Uh, so Kay, why don't you begin with how the Word of God has impacted your life, how it's been applied in your life. Well, a day just doesn't start out right if I don't spend time in the Word. I love the Bible. It's my interface with heaven, and it puts me on a place where I can understand God, where He dwells in light K. I just can't go by. I can't live a day without it. It's rich and it, carry, it carries its own weight. You don't need to add anything to it. And it's life-changing. When I met the Lord and He changed me, and I really had a hunger for the Word, and so I'd come home from church, and uh, that afternoon I'd be in the Word, learning, learning more and more. Of course, I've forgotten a lot too, but uh, <laughs> uh, but that was a major change of my life, getting into the Word of God and applying it. It is the anchor for me. It, it mm -hmm. is something that never changes. It will always be there. And, and I can fall back on it no matter how bad things get. And I have just found great comfort in it uh, in some of the darkest hours of my life. I mean, there's so many things I could, I could, I could go to, but uh, the 136th Psalm says 26 times God's, okay, I just, I just drew a blank, yeah. It endures forever. It endures forever, 26 times in, in one chapter. It, it extols God's virtues, and then it just says His love endures forever. And, and I know that to be true, and that has rescued me in some pretty dark places. Well, I was very fortunate that we had a record player in our house when I was a little kid growing up. And my mom and dad only ever played Tennis Harry Ford, who sang all the hymns, you know, that he did and all that. Oh, she would. Yeah, yeah they, they played those. And there were children's songs, too. And I think I, think I, I always remember the scriptures that I heard put to music. And I would you know, run around and, sit and sing them. But, um, you know, all those things just build then as you get older. You build on what you want to read and what you, how you want to live your life. Whenever I would be facing something that, that was pretty tough, I would remember that in, in God's Word 365 times He said, do not fear. Do not fear. Yes. Hey, I had a thought. Since his word is life-giving, powerful, and lead us to knowledge of salvation in our, in our Lord Jesus Christ, what if we could put that inside of us? What if we could memorize it? It would make your life so rich because you'd constantly, constantly there would be scriptures welling up inside of you that were per, pertinent to the moment that you're living in. Thy word have I what? Hidden. Hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And uh, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my pathway. We need the word. We really do. I wish every one of you could have been there to listen to this group interact over the questions we asked. And... Uh, it was about two hours long, and so what we did is with each question, we actually uh, have about a 15-minute version. So you saw a four-minute version this morning, but you can look up later this afternoon on our website to hear the rest of their thoughts. The idea of this series came from passage in Scripture where it says in Proverbs that, that the, with age and time comes wisdom. And so during a time when everything seems to be changing around us and all the norms that we appreciate seems to be uh, being let out the back door, what can we hold on to that we know uh, will be never changing? And so we drew from the wisdom of those who have lived a little bit longer on this earth than some of us, and uh, we wanted to share that with you. And one of the questions we asked is, what role has the Word of God 
played in your life over these years. And you heard uh, many of the things said there. And Kay began with saying, her day doesn't even start out right unless you begin in the word of God. And then you heard the quote there at the end from Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Now, I have to admit that when we hear song, uh, some of these psalms, you hear it in a particular translation. And we're fortunate to be at a stage where there's many skilled translators uh, that we have uh, four or five real solid translations and uh, that we can learn from. But some of us learn scripture in other translations than what I might be reading in this morning. So when you hear Psalm 105, or say, when I read it from out of NIV, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path, how many of you would admit you are hearing it in your mind from the King James Version? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, that would be King James. And some of you, depending on your age, might even recall, I can't also hear that, that particular verse unless I hear Amy Grant singing it. Uh, and I won't give you an example of that at all right now in this moment. But nonetheless... Certain scriptures cement in our mind and they stay with us and they come at those pertinent moments as what you heard Greg said. Now, one of the things that really struck me about uh, this dialogue with this group is when we were talking about uh, the understanding of when the word of God becomes so important is in those dark moments or in those times of need. When everything seems to be cloudy, what do you cling to? What do you hold on to? And, uh, and so I have found that in times of trouble, God gives that verse that you've, you've learned over time, and it gives it in that moment, and you hold on to it. And it carries you through that moment where maybe you feel like your feet aren't, are not on stable ground. I've shared where we've gone as a journey as a family that when my wife and I were first married, uh, in a couple years in, we had our first child. From day one, we discovered that there were things that were going to be challenging for her life. As, as the doctor, I went home to go shower after a, a successful delivery, thinking everything's fine, that I would come back to the hospital. But just as I pulled into our driveway, my wife calls and says, you need to come back. They're saying there's something wrong. So I come back and, and we discover that our child has some severe abnormalities of her bone structure and, and we found out over time that they did not expect her to be able to walk. And so I don't take for granted the moments when she stands up next to me and we worship together. And, uh, and she takes those steps of joy and, and if you haven't noticed, she's really into it. And that's okay, that's okay. And, uh, and so I just consider it a miracle. But there were, in those dark moments when we didn't know, would she ever walk? There are scriptures that carry you through that time. When you can't always hear God because your emotions are so intense, the word of God penetrates right through. And, and so I will say that the season that's most recent that many of you lived out with my wife and I was when she went through cancer, uh, breast cancer, four years ago. And, uh, and before, you know, when you get that diagnosis, you have breast cancer. And, you know, I remember just like the doctor wanting to talk and say, okay, we, get, we need to do this, we need to do this. And for 15 minutes, they're telling us all these things that we have to now do and put into action. And we don't even understand half of what was being said. It is like being hit by a freight train. And it becomes an immediate sense of darkness, not necessarily dark in the sense that you're lost, but darkness in the sense of knowing where to walk when things are so unsure. So where do you cling? You cling to those things which you know are sure in the moment. And I remember as I'm sitting with my wife waiting for that first surgery that was going to be significant and life-altering, and we're sitting there, and, and, and I could just tell her heart was heavy. And, you know, and she quoted a verse that she kept quoting over and over and over. She had memorized it. Somebody had written it down for her, and it really hit her heart well. And it was Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when you're going through something difficult and you have a verse like this that God brings to you, 
you cling to it. It gives you clarity when everything else is unsure. We had no idea with time if cancer would be ultimately removed from her body. And I'm able to say, she's cancer-free, praise God. But in those moments when you don't know the future, you hold on to that which you know is going to endure beyond your lifetime, the word of God. And for me, what stood out during that time was when somebody gave us the verses found in just three chapters later. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 3, the beginning of verse 3. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God. Imagine for the nation of Israel hearing this from the prophet Isaiah, having the remembrance of crossing into the Red Sea, but on dry ground. And then for 40 years, struggling in the desert, and then having the opportunity to come into the promised land and to enter it, on dry ground through the Jordan River. So when you hear from the prophet, when you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. They knew that to be true. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. They knew that to be true. And then when you consider Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. They knew that to be true. For God is the Lord their God. When you're going through a difficult time, you cling to such truths because you know that God is the same God then, all these thousands of years ago, as he is now. The waters will not overwhelm you. The rivers will not sweep over you. The fires will not consume you. For the Lord is our God, and we are his. You hold on to such things. As a leader going through this past year, when every decision you make, you recognize that why there's not clarity for how to handle a pandemic with a gathering of a church, you're still called to discern. You're called to make wise judgments, and, and you try to follow the word of God as best as you can understand with, in regards to your context. But even having said that, it is impossible to convey all that is considered in those decisions. And so people are left with, when they see hypocrisy among all the, the governmental leaders going all over the place with their decisions, it's easy to then project those same lack of clarity and inconsistency and inappropriate sometimes in hypocrisy. It's hard not to project that upon the church as well. I felt that at times. As we're making decisions, I didn't make unilateral decisions. We made it together as elders, and, and we would consider, and we would pray, and we would look over the word of God, and we'd discuss together. And sometimes it had the appearance that others were making the decisions for us. But there were other times where it was like, we're making the decisions because we believe this is the right thing to do in regards to our testimony within society and our community and our love for it. But at the same time, we've made other decisions where this is an importance about the freedom of how we worship. It was not always easy making those decisions, and it was difficult when it was questioned. And I recognize, I understand why it's questioned. But here's the thing. What do you do if what you're deciding is questioned? by all those around you. Where do you go? For me, over this past year, I've thought of Psalm 77 more than any other time in my life. Because it was in Psalm 77 where the psalmist David is, is in a place where he is in, in trouble and it's difficult and everything about his kingdom is in duress. And he is wondering, is the Lord involved? Is the Lord engaged? And so to find comfort, what did he do? He looked back. He remembered, and he particularly remembered in Psalm 77 
when Israel crossed the Red Sea. And that's where we get the infamous uh, statement and poem about the footprints in the sand. We thought as an Israelite nation, as we're pressed against that sea and the army is coming from Egypt is coming against us, there is no way of escape. They could not foresee what was going to happen. The future was unclear. But yet, God miraculously over the night separated the waters and they went across on dry ground only to get to the other side and look back and see those waters come in over the nation of Egypt and their armies. They could look back and say, that had to be God. But the night before, they could not foresee how God could rescue them. They wondered, had God abandoned us? Was God with us? And then David says, with recollect, with remembrance, God it was your footprints in the sand that was there, not ours. God carried the nation. And while I believe with the fullness of my heart that when Jesus says, I will build my church, this is his church that I am called to be a steward leader of, there are still times I have to trust. I'm not, it's not my footprints carrying the church. It's the Lord's. And you need to have confidence in that. That it's not any human being, an elder board, or any other set of leaders that's carrying the church, but it is rather the Spirit of God, and it's His footprints you'll see when you look back. Amen? The Scriptures are where it guides us, and that's where we find comfort. As the psalmist looked back and drew from the letters uh, and, and, and writings of Moses, so we today, today, when we're in a difficult season, we draw from things of the past so that we can, it can inform the present and give us confidence in an uncertain future. Now, when I talk about uncertain future, I'm talking about today and tomorrow. Because we know from Scripture that we know the future. We know how things are going to end. We just don't know how it's going to shake out in the times between now and then. And so we don't know our final breath or final hour. We don't know the future of our nation. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow in our nation. But we do know who's in control. And we know this from the word of God. And we know this from the past. And so in Psalm 119, which is where we're going to turn today. Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in scripture. We're not going to read the entire thing. In fact, I've, I've chosen very, a middle portion of it that we're going to read. But in Psalm 119, we don't know who's written this psalm. Although most believe it's David. I happen to believe it's David. And so I'm going to presume that for a moment where the writer of this faced uncertainty with confidence by living in step with God's word. So David faced uncertainty with confidence by living in step with God's word. You're going to discover as we read in Psalm 119, several terms that get repeated if you were to take the collective whole of this chapter, you will hear the words, your judgments, your statutes, your word, your precepts, your law. You will hear those phrases. Each one of those words are listed over 20 times in this chapter. So each of those words are interchangeable. They speak to the same thing. That which is sourced from God, his law, his precepts, his statutes. His statutes being the authoritative word of his that speaks into it. His precepts are his guiding words by how he would do things. His law by that which defines morality. His judgments by how he intersects by defining how that gets applied within humanity. And what you're going to see is each of those words are used over 20 times to ascribe to God that it is God's as the source of guidance in uncertain times. So let's begin in verse 11. Very common verse that we know. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. NIV. Now, King James. Thy word that I might not sin against you. 
It's amazing. We have it imprinted, right? For those of us that grew up a long time ago, we know it, but we know it in that, that language, that old English language. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There's something about if we let that which is sourced from God, his word, his judgment, his precept, his laws, if that is what is hidden inside of us, it will become the source by which we can avoid that which will cause error. It will help us avoid sin in our lives and, and displeasing God. So the psalmist gives that initial thing. So let's then move to verse 86, and then we'll continue reading from there. Verse 86 of Psalm 119. Listen to what he says. Again, the psalmist is going to be bringing out these things. All your commands are trustworthy. They help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. Hmm. All your commands are trustworthy. They help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. Those people who are persecuting me without cause, they almost wiped me out from the earth, verse 87 says, but I have not forsaken your precepts. And your unfailing love preserve my life that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. Have you ever been persecuted without cause? Think about how the narrative is changing. That Christianity is particular those, and this gets used in a very misinterpreted way, but evangelicals, their form of Christianity is now becoming labeled as a hate group. Is there, are we being persecuted without cause? In some cases, yes. But part of it is, is that sometimes we take passages of scripture and we arm it to give a message of truth but we do so without love which should be our motive and without spirit where it's being sourced and guided by how God would do it not by how we would do it when we're angry and so yes persecution has come but we can trust then when those persecuted without cause happens, we can then trust in the commands of God. Because what, think what's happening. If you're being persecuted for something you've done that you did not, I mean, for something you did not do, what's going on? There's an untruth that is prevailing. And so what are you going to desire in that moment? Truth. You're going to want truth, something they can trust because you're being persecuted by those you cannot trust because they're creating a false narrative. So you look to that which is trustworthy, the commands of God. And it says that these people, they, will, they almost wipe you out. But you have not forsaken me, God. Your precepts preserve my life. They help me sustain when everything else seems to be coming in around me. And as a result, we can trust his commands and then we can be firm in what lies ahead. And look at what verse 89 says. It says, your word, Lord, is what? Eternal. And it stands firm in the heavens. Where was the word written and birthed? On earth or in heaven? In heaven. Because scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. God speaking from heaven, guiding people to write the scriptures. God-breathed, it began, the word begins in heaven. And we receive it here on earth by the Spirit's leadership in the lives of many writers. And we'll get to that scripture here in a little bit. But we can trust that that which is in heaven, that has had life for eternity, the enduring word, it's eternal will prevail beyond the difficulty of our fleeting moments. Think about your darkest hours that maybe have happened in your life. They had a season. Some of you are in that season right now. But those seasons are seasons because they have beginnings and they have ends. But in that time, Scripture existed before, Scripture existed during, Scripture will exist beyond. It is the eternal 
word of God. And so continuing on in verse 90, your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I love one of the things that was said in, by Greg Heisey as part of that video. It says, when I read the word, it's part of my interface with heaven. So when we interface with heaven, that eternal word, and we're experiencing it, it carries us through the afflictions, which Gene on that video said, you know, the word of God is that anchor for me. It never changes. I have found great comfort in it in some of my darkest hours of my life. And I can say amen to that too. In the darkest hours of my life, this word has been an anchor. And so as it says here in these afflictions that I would have, my life wouldn't have been preserved, but it's because of the precepts of God, the laws of God, the word of God, that my life was sustained. Continuing on in verse 93, it says, I will never forget your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection, I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Hmm. Save me for I'm yours, he says, for I sought your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. Would you say that there's a battle for the narrative of what is right and true in our society today? And would you say that Christianity is in the crosshairs of that argument? It is. Now the challenge for this is, we understand things that society does not. Because we're informed by the word of God. But if you are living in society and you do not have the word of God, how can you possibly understand the framework and the perspective we come from. I already tipped my hand a little bit of saying that, that yes, we get persecuted. And sometimes because we have not done the right thing. But don't get me wrong. Even if we do everything correctly, there will still be persecution. Because the enemy despises the idea that there is a truth that comes from God and God alone. Yes. And he defines that which is true and untrue, what is moral and immoral, and that which is right and unright. Hmm. I read just in an article a couple weeks ago that when talking about this Olympic situation where, again, athletes of cross-gender can now compete on the other side as long as they self-identify differently. Now, I am not a hater of somebody who's struggling with their gender identity. But to say that it is true, to say that while they might have been born one way and they are going to identify themselves as another, that I myself as, a, as an observer must say that it is true that they are not born as they were born is to lie. That's the difficult challenge. How do we communicate that in a manner that says it's about truth? It's not about me hating you. It's scripture is a double-edged sword. He talks about that. It can go to the innermost parts of our being. But a sword, like anything else, in the wrong hands can wound and become lethal rather than surgical or it can become healing. The way we wield the truth will make all the difference of whether somebody will ever seek the truth of Jesus Christ or reject it as hate. We are called to speak truth, but we're also called to live by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God's fruits are peace, love, joy, goodness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ever heard of it? Recalibrate, right? So that's to be the Spirit. We can tell we're doing it in the right Spirit. We can say the exact same things, but do so in anger and out of the flesh, and it produces nothing but anger and fleshly things. Or we can do it out of the spirit, saying the same thing, but with the right spirit, right attitude, and with gentleness and respect, which Peter calls us to, and it can produce fruit, which is what the ultimate motive. 
So we're called to speak truth with the right spirit and the right motive. And the motive is always, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but to, oh, come on, don't lose this. I didn't, to save it. Our calling is to see people come, become saved. Not to, to say that you're right and to walk away and say, we were right. In the end of the day, of course we're right. It comes from the word of God. But we're called to come in and save. So our spirit, our motive are most as important as the truth that we carry. God never separates those three in himself. And we as human beings, followers of him, should not do so as well. We should keep it intact that we're motivated for the love of the other and do so by the spirit of God's power, not our own flesh. So as I look at this, and you go to verse 95, and it says, the wicked are waiting to destroy us. They're looking for us to trip over ourselves. But it says, but I will ponder your statutes. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. So we should saturate ourselves into the word of God so that we can become wiser of that which has come against us. So we saturate in the word of God. And then it says in verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers. Why? Because I meditate on your statutes. So the source of becoming wiser than the, or having more insight than the teachers is the one who ponders on scripture. Doesn't just read it, ponders it, considers it, meditates on it, and applies it. That's where I'm going next. Verse 100. For I have more understanding than the elders. How is that possible? For I obey your precepts. I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. Give me a person who has studied scripture with their whole life but has not applied it or, or made their life aligned to it and I give you a person that's extremely foolish, ignorant, and dangerous. Give me a person who has read the word of God, studied the word of God, and applied the word of God to their life, they will begin to understand the truth that it speaks. The person who doesn't apply becomes dangerous because they're not applying it. They just take the teachings and they go and they use it in an inappropriate manner. They do not understand the ways of God. But if you apply the word of God and you let it saturate in your soul and you meditate on it, it will affect your being. And it will cause, as it says in, in 101, where it says, I will then keep my feet from every evil path because I desire to obey the word. Continuing on, 102, I have not departed from your laws, for your, you yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, Therefore, I hate every wrong path. You begin to gain understanding as you obey it. And as you obey it and you understand God more and more, you'll begin to despise paths that steer away from God. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Another thing that has become challenging is that, that again, as, as people are, are struggling with how to reconcile the word of God with society, and the society is beginning to hate what it teaches because it defines morality. It defines sexuality. It defines gender. It defines that there is a God, and it's not you. Society doesn't like that. He defines truth. You don't define truth. And when that happens, it's setting itself up against God. It's setting itself up against his principles. And if you're not rooted in scripture, over time, you'll begin to affirm what society says and let society dictate 
how you look at Scripture. Now, I'm not there yet. We'll get there in Scripture here in a moment. Verse 105, we've already heard twice today in, in the baptism video and in the video with our, our mature folks. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path. Now skip to verse 114. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Talk about when you're going through those hard times and you're, and you're struggling with answers. Again, going back to my wife's going into surgery. I'm now having to walk out to the waiting room and I'm left with, she literally is completely in the hands of God. She's going in and she can remember saying that verse, 41 verse 10, right up to the point when her eyes closed. God's gonna care for her and hold her in his right hand. You hold on to those things, and it becomes your hope. With the word of God indwelling in you, the word of God becomes the hope that you cling to. I want us to turn to 2 Timothy to close out this sermon today. So turn your Bibles back towards the back, and it comes after 1 Timothy. Tongue in cheek. And I want to give a little context to this. The Apostle Paul has just finished his journey as a leader of the church. He has been equipping different people to follow in behind him so that when he leaves and he dies, that there are leaders to stay behind and continue the work. Timothy is his greatest Padawan, if you will. He is investing in him and he's preparing him for his departure. And he begins in verse 10. 2 Timothy 3, when he says this, You, Timothy, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, I hear this, everybody. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's gonna happen. If you wanna live a godly life, in other words, a life defined by God, not by society, you will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters Pretenders, in other words, will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Which then speaks to this because you see how he responds to that statement by talking about the word of God. That basically what Paul is saying is that living a life that pleases God is only possible I'm being very exclusive here because scripture is living a life that pleases God is only possible by living under the authority of his word. Let that resonate. It is only possible to live a life that pleases God by living under the authority of his word because it's his word that defines for us what is true, what is moral, what is healthy, what is unhealthy how to respond, how to withhold, how to give, how to love. The word is the manual that equips us for all that God would ever ask us to do. It's everything we need. Going on, an important statement here 
in verse four, or chapter four, verse one, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure this hardship and do the work of an evangelist sharing the gospel. So discharge all the duties of your ministry. Here's what I've discovered. Is that there is nothing more important than what I do than to make sure that Tony's not the one speaking with authority, but the Spirit of God speaking with authority informed and from a sole source of the word of God. You can find a lot of empty air in social media. I've been asked multiple times to give my opinion on a lot of things that quite frankly don't matter because there's a lot of people speaking into it. The most important thing I can give you is to keep reading from this word and open it up together and see how it informs how we should go forward. By that preaching, we'll find sound doctrine. And what I've discovered in sound doctrine is that there are many who have been studied, well studied in the scripture, who have become, quite frankly, heretical. Sound doctrine is maintained with accountability to scriptural authority and with those who hold to that same end. Anybody who sets themselves up as sole interpreter is at risk of heresy. Anybody who would set themselves up without being accountable to others learning and hearing and receiving from the word of God is prone to heresy. And I will say this, anybody who decides that the word of God is caught in time, that it doesn't understand the things of today and would interpret the word as saying, well, it was speaking to a time, spot, a time back then and it's not relevant to now. We know better now. They have chosen that they, as an understander of today's society, choose society's understanding greater than the authority of scripture. That's where sound doctrine gets compromised. Sound doctrine is not determined by or even rarely reflects societal norms. If you start seeing that something's being taught and it seems like that's what the majority in society are saying and it's new, it's likely heresy. Sound doctrine will never compartmentalize God as we try to do it ourselves. God is love, but God is also just. God is love, and God is also holy. God is love, and he will operate fully with his love and his justice and his holiness together at all times. He does not set it aside. So when you hear that God would, a loving God would never do that, and it, yet it goes against the holiness of God, they do not understand God. This must be understood. The word of God often speaks hard truths that are difficult for you and I to accept, let alone to convey and communicate to the rest of the world. And the hardest truth of that all, of all that's found in scripture is this, that the youngest of infant in our nursery here, to our most innocent of toddlers, to our elementary school kids, our middle school kids, our senior high students, to our budding right out of college uh, new professionals, to families that are being developed and, and great parenting, to middle-aged adults that are now empty nesting, to those who have lived long and have maturity like we saw, that not a single one of them can claim to be wholly good. Each of them are sinners 
and stand in judgment before God. That's a hard truth. But it's also a more difficult truth than to say that because of that sin, we're assigned eternal death in a place called hell. It's horrific, but it's true. And an even more difficult truth is that while God is love and because he loves us, he wanted to make sure that there was a way by which we wouldn't have to experience an eternal death. He only provided one way. And this is a truth that the world despises. Even heard this on national news this past week, that it's hate to say, your way is the only way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a hard truth. And sound doctrine, the word of God, would teach us that that is an eternal truth that existed before our lifetime, during our lifetime, and way beyond our final breath. And that truth is essential to be known by those who are in the world. So we come not to condemn that world. God's role is to do that. Our role is to come and share the good news to save the world. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the way, and I only know that through your word. Your word has shown it to be a living word. As it's impacted my life in, it, in so many ways that are miraculous that I can't say it, but it's supernatural because it comes from the supernatural word of God. So we trust in you, not ourselves. We cling to you not our own version of truth. And we want to make sure that the word of God's what permeates into our soul so that our spirit is right, our attitude is right, our motive is right, and that we're speaking that which is actually true. So God, forgive us when we have maligned your truth. Carry us into that which will keep us from sinning, but also give us life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand together as we put our trust in what Jesus has said to us.
speaking to a persecuted church saying in 2 Peter 1 we also have this prophetic message as something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the dawn day, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts above all you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These things are completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. We've called you into this time to open the word of God together. It's up to you to immerse yourself into it to study his precepts, his statutes, his laws, his judgments, his commands, his word. And by it, it will transform your life and you will have greater insight, greater wisdom if you apply it. So let the word of God lead your life and you'll see the difference. If you'd like to talk and pray with someone this morning, this morning the encounter room is available. It's to my left back here. They would be glad to, to pray or talk with you. But as we go out these doors, let the entirety of the word affect your steps. For the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. You're dismissed.